Hello, everyone out there in Geek Vibes Nation. This is your pal, Dane Alves, with another enticing episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance, a show in which we talk about wrestling on Thursdays at 7 p.m. EST and sometimes Saturdays at noon uh, EST. It's Eastern Standard Time, if you didn't know that. Uh, but anyways, we've got a great show for you guys tonight, uh, a lot of awesome stuff to talk about. But before we get to that, let me introduce my amazing co-host, Brother Christopher Ray Patton. How are you doing, sir? I heard that you are calling in from Louisiana. You're in a swamp or something like that, right? Looking for Ray Wyatt? <laughs> no, no, sir. I am a, I'm a little under the weather, so if I sound like shit, I apologize. But uh, I'm here and ready to talk wrestling. How's your week been, Dane? Well, I'm I'm back at work, so it's been lovely. It's been uh, so much fun. I miss I don't miss having days off at all for Christmas and whatnot. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's been pretty good, man. It's not been bad at all, and uh, we we had a pretty awesome, I think, weekend uh, with a bunch of wrestling news to talk about uh, with Wrestle Kingdom over in New Japan. So just to give you guys a heads up, we're going to be talking about Wrestle Kingdom for all the show. Uh, Saturday or yeah, Saturday morning. Um, since we haven't had a bunch of back-to-back shows in a while, sorry, we were on vacation and whatnot, um, or off, or visiting our family, or sick, or you know, stuff happens. But it's a new year, and uh, we didn't get our um, our uh, top ten male superstars, female superstars of the year. Uh, we'll do that uh, Saturday, and we'll also go over the Wednesday night wars and maybe a couple highlights from Raw SmackDown <laughs> if they happen. So, anyways, today we'll be devoted towards going over the two pay-per-view amazing event over at the Tokyo Dome. So, if you're not a New Japan fan, I completely understand, um, you know, not wanting to be spoiled about stuff that you don't know. But I would definitely uh, expect you, if you're an intelligent individual out there and you actually like fucking wrestling, like the actual wrestling part, to go watch it, especially this pay-per-view. you got two nights. Um... Some of it's a bit long, but it's a hell of a lot better than anything that you're going to see on Monday Night Raw and SmackDown or stuff related to that. I can promise you that. Shade thrown by me. But, um, Chris, are you ready to get into this? Hell yeah, man. I am I am down. This was some good-ass wrestling over the weekend, so definitely looking All right, forward well, to it. I want to talk about one thing that's related to this, uh, the, the news item that's kind of connected with this whole New Japan thing due to statements that's been said and events that happened within it. Uh, a lot of fans, uh, me included, you included, want there to be a relationship, um, a business relationship between AEW and New Japan Wrestling. Makes all the sense in the world. New Japan doesn't have a strong relationship uh, as much as it once did with Ring of Honor. They don't have a TV company because Anthem kicked them off because they didn't want to have uh, crossover stuff with Impact. 
because of bad stuff in the past, regardless of ownership now. Uh, so we know that's there. We know that AEW definitely could use, um, you know, some 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 trade-offs, I believe. Uh, and I think that if you look at money and the fact that you can make it and trying to become a viable, uh, you know, uh, second to WWE or try to rival it, the two companies that are kind of considered the seconds, with New Japan being the, 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 the main one, and then obviously AEW over here in America next to WWE, I don't think – Basically, them working together would just work out a lot of stuff. Uh, we do know that we had both John Moxley and Chris Jericho involved. Uh, John Moxley had two matches. Uh, one of them was fucking ridiculous with Lance Archer, but we'll get to that. And Chris Jericho had uh, one match against Tanahashi. Both of them ended up winning. Uh, Moxley is now a champion, and uh, Jericho actually built into stipulation due to a um, a comment from Tanahashi. Uh, you know, uh, if Tanahashi beat Jericho, that Tanahashi would have a title shot for the AEW title. Chris Jericho actually wore that title at Wrestle Kingdom to the ring. So there are a lot of good things going into this, uh, positive stuff. We know that there's a lot of tension. Uh, if you guys want to find out more information and a little bit personal, I would recommend watching, I think it's called, um, it's not delivery food, it's... um. God dang it. Show that the Young Bucks do where they eat room service. It's uh, hotel rooms and room service uh, talking with wrestlers, basically. I don't know if that's the exact name. But them and Kenny kind of like went into a lot of stuff involving their ending uh, with New Japan. Nothing really, I would say, disparaging, but kind of giving a little bit of info and insight about not being happy and kind of uh, the way that they ended. You know, they were just all of a sudden just a huge part of it, and then Wrestle Kingdom happened. Everyone lost and everyone was gone, including Kenny and obviously the Young Bucks uh, that night. Um, so there are issues between the two. But I think, like I said, a lot of us fans would like to see some type of partnership. You know, the fact that you have the L.A. Dojo over here uh, for New Japan, you know, you have a lot of talents that are over there that might be able to work dark matches or be, be some of the guys that they use over at AEW. Same thing with being able to work over there. It would be beneficial. Also, big stars crossing over. You got Moxley and Jericho. Well, shoot, what about Naito and Okada? That type of situation. You know, it doesn't have to be over here for a long time period, just for a buildup or some crossover stuff. You know, not too much, but we got a pretty good deal of it, I would say. Now, afterwards, uh, we had a couple statements, but uh, kind of before we go into what Chris Jericho had to say at the press conference and then what what uh, the Young Bucks said, and then what Cody said about that. Uh, what do you think about all this, Chris? Just give us your general idea of the possibility. Do you think it's getting closer for inevitable relationship between New Japan Pro Wrestling and AEW? I think I kind of went into this before the, the pay-per-view and we we're doing some just predictions and, and talking about it, but the fact that they're acknowledging AEW and allowing the belt to be on their show and Tanahashi cutting a promo and referencing it means that something is kind of there, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. Um, I honestly thought if Jericho lost that this was kind of a done deal because Jericho has – I think lost his last three matches up until this one at uh, Wrestle Kingdom. So it, it was either give him a strong win or a loss. Looks like they gave him a strong win. 
uh, spoiler alert for anyone looking for the review, I guess. But uh, my thought was that you have both of them lose and then you do a rematch in America, and that sets it up. But if they're doing this down the line, they kind of did the opposite, uh, where they gave both the AEW guys strong wins. Um, and, and that still sets it up in the same way. Uh, the fact that Jericho is still out here pushing it and talking about it and doing the press conference and talking about potentially facing you know other people down the line, maybe on American soil um, and the relationship with New Japan in general, it, it points to something getting done. And then also, like you said, with the American Dojo and the fact that they're wanting to tour America and not having any TV uh, right now in the States due to getting dropped off access with Anthem, not wanting to do that. Uh, co-partnership with Impact, which I, to me, I feel like their show probably draws as well as Impact with New Japan Television when it was on Friday, so I, I can't really blame them there. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's where there's smoke, there's fire. I still think that there's something there, uh, and uh, I guess once we get into these review or these uh, tweets, some of them were just like blatantly like never happening, and the like Cody's tweet was a little almost like something has already happened. So it's, it's weird. And uh, the thing about Jericho is in the past, he's definitely used stuff like this to fuel his, his own stock. So there may just be a little bit of that there, but the fact they both went over so strong, um, they're still building matches with Jericho and uh, of course, John Moxley, you have to look at the trade of talent. Cause I think they would love to get, you know, once Cody becomes champion in AEW, which at some point down the line will happen, even though he's never ever supposed to challenge for it again, you think him coming back as champion would be a big money match, or, Ma- or or Omega coming back would be a big money match, and it just seems like there's too much on the table to not do this specifically for New Japan, and potentially getting exposure by TNT and maybe even getting some TV time on TV TNT if they're able to work with AEW appropriately and, and make something work out there. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to go with a theory of I'm kind of where I was. I've thought for sure if they both lost, that mm. would set up something for AEW's next pay-per-view. But um, they both went over strong. So you could at that point, you could do an invasion angle or something if you wanted to. I still think that, that something is happening and something is afoot for sure. Yeah, and I do too. Uh, it just depends on who you ask, and we kind of alluded to that. Chris Jericho, obviously, arguably the biggest star in AEW, or at least most well-known. Obviously, that's why they're, you know, he's a champion. I would put him, Moxley, and then Cody. When it comes to overall people, you know, that are not as diehard, if you will, that get invested in AEW, they're going to know those three guys, and the audience obviously reacts to them. Chris Jericho doesn't have any ownership in this. Uh, obviously, Tony Khan, Cody, Bucks, Kenny, they probably take a lot of his words um, to heart, I, w- I would assume. Uh, same thing, I think, with, with Moxley. And I'm sure both of them are pushing this. Uh, I, I, Moxley's already said that he wants to be able to perform uh, with New Japan. And we know that Cody and Kenny, they're allowed to if they want. Uh, Cody kind of alluded to that, but we'll get to that quote too. Chris Jericho, I think, still kind of wants to be able to go to New Japan. And honestly, We'll get to his match. I think the match that he had with Tanahashi when it comes to in-ring performance probably was the best that they've had, you know, not not going to the brawling as much as going back to old-school Chris Jericho. You know, he he sounded a bit out of breath during the press conference, but he had a fucking long-ass match or he's doing 
you know, uh, lion salts and all that type of stuff that, that he used to zone into back in the day. So it was really impressive. But uh, he, he was asked about it at the press conference afterwards, and he said, put aside all hurt feelings, put aside all the egos, put aside all the issues in politics, and concentrate on great wrestling matches and big business. I haven't been doing this at the highest levels for 29 years at what some people say the greatest of all time because I'm a stupid businessman. I can see the amount of money that we could make together with AEW New Japan, both here in Japan and in the United States and Canada and England and Australia and all around the world. So even though I beat Tanahashi tonight, I would be more than willing to wrestle him again anytime, and I'd be willing to give him an AEW title shot and Okada, and Naito, and Suzuki, and Ibushi, and Osprey. Uh, so pretty uh, pretty big words from Chris. You know, I don't know if it's throwing shade so much. I mean, obviously he's known Gato for a long time. That's their head booker. He's not the owner, though. Uh, but he obviously knows the ownership over at New Japan, or he would be doing business with them. And they know him, and he's a big star. He's Chris Jericho. So they want to continue that. But the, the, the top comments about getting over egos, that might be about them. And that also might be about the Young Bucks and about Kenny, who seem to have problems, and, and rightfully so. I, I, I feel like they do have reasons to be annoyed and aggravated about how they were treated towards the end, especially Kenny. I mean, Kenny was a huge star for them over there. A lot of eyeballs, because of Okada and Omega, were brought to that product, and, you know, Kenny is part of that, that, the, the, that duo, and obviously the Bucks were a huge tag team over in New Japan, and they were big members in the Bullet Club. The Bullet Club has depleted since the Elite. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the Girls of Destiny. I think that Kenta and Jay White, in a good way, are two of the most hated guys in wrestling today, and that's all fine and dandy. But it's been a shadow of what it used to be, and I think a large portion of that is without who they had. So I understand that there is, there's egos that need to be mended. Um We'll, we'll, we'll comment on that, and then we'll we'll talk about the egos uh, afterwards with their comments. But um, I thought this was an awesome statement, Chris, and I don't think that Jericho asked permission. I think he said whatever the fuck. If there's any repercussions from either side for what he said, he dealt with it. And I don't think he really gives a shit because he knows his value and he knows his worth uh, within the industry. And I don't think Tony Khan would have any problem with this. I don't think the owner of New Japan, I forgot what his name is, would have a problem with this. So – if there are egos that are a bit bruised from this, it would probably be the Young Bucks and Kenny, or maybe G- or Gato over in Japan. People were involved in that, but like I said, I don't think Jericho cares. What do you think? No, and I mean the way he stated it, he put over both companies. Um, you know, he came off a strong win at Wrestle Kingdom, and then the post conference, he put over the fact that these are some of the best wrestlers in the world, and he would challenge them wherever, whenever. Um, and then listed off their top competitors uh, in New Japan. So from that standpoint, I, I don't think either company could really get mad at him. I would assume that it was approved uh, before he ever stepped out there. I don't think that he's a guy that would want to go into business for himself in Japan necessarily. At, at this point, I don't know that that would help Chris Jericho um, in either company. I mean, I don't think it would get, by any means hurt him because he is the GOAT. Um, but yeah, just overall, I thought it was a really, really cool thing to hear, especially about the egos. And just from, like I've said, um, 
even going back to the start of AEW and and how like I even gave ways that I thought the WWE could end this quickly, which is somehow do a working relationship with New Japan before AEW ever got off the ground, because I think that would have cut their legs out from under them for a lot of the big stuff that they would want to do down the road, regardless of egos, um, and kind of set up that timetable of when you have to get those next big stars. Um, whereas if AEW always kind of has New Japan, if they can work out their differences in their back pocket, you do have some big money matches there. And I think he alluded to that where he's talking about, you know, business is business. And when you've been at the top as long as I have, you, you just kind of realize business is business. Um, so, yeah, I mean, nothing he said seemed out of place to me, and, and I doubt there would be any kind of discipline either way. Um in the, the next part where we're getting into the egos, so to speak, uh, is where things get a little bit weird because it's like we're getting different different subtext from different people. And also I'm surprised like, – like are the Young Bucks back on Twitter now? That was like a very short hiatus if so. Uh, uh, I don't know. I just – I, I I think so, but we'll we'll get into the Bucks. I want to I want to go over Cody's statement because they pretty much made this around the same time, both asked in interviews. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think the Bucks are back on Twitter. I'm not 100 percent sure, but that kind of goes into I don't know some of my aggravation. As much as I love the Young Bucks, you can tell out of I'll just say this out of like your your Chris Jericho's, your 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 Cody's, your Kenny's, your your Bucks. Um, you can tell who's been a part of the industry in a very large hole as far as being a part of a huge company and knowing the production and business aspects on a large base from them. And then the guys that are doing really well have, have built themselves up, but, you know, might not know as much uh, based on these responses. Because you asked Cody about this. He was asked, figure out what outlet. Um, I think it was the New York, uh, the New York Post. But um, they, the, the, the question flat out was, do you think a relationship between New Japan and AEW is AEW interested in pursuing that, or what would it mean for the wrestling industry? And he said, I think the thing that was strange to me was people were asking for this partnership. I don't know what a partnership would look like other than what you saw. Chris Jericho was a part of one of the main events at Wrestle Kingdom. John Moxley as well. They both were successful. What did he call it? The Forbidden Door? And they said uh, the Forbidden Portal, Forbidden Door, something like that. Uh, the forbidden door, it, it may be forbidden, but clearly the door is opening and closing and opening and closing. It's public knowledge that some guys here, myself included, have exemptions to work in New Japan Pro Wrestling. But I know that New Japan Pro Wrestling's focus is New Japan and AEW's focus is AEW. So more than likely, what a partnership would look like is perhaps some sharing of talent, some shared creative, but we're not going to have a super clash Three, where Kerry Von Erich and Jerry Lawler are fighting over the title like in 88. Sorry, that's a real specific angle I brought up. I'm always hesitant to combine banners versus just respecting each other's banners. But I like how it's referred to as a forbidden door. I don't really think it's forbidden at all, though. Uh, like I said, many people have the exemption to work there. They put on a great Wrestle Kingdom. They have some amazing talents, particularly Will Ospreay. He's a top five wrestler in the world right now. So we'll see where that goes. I know everyone pretty much feels the same way about it. So that's, that's Cody's uh, answer. Cody's answer is so political, man. It, it's, it's down the middle. 
you know, it's like, well, I mean, you're seeing partnership right now, so I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. But he also addresses it to, a, to an extent saying, like, you know, I think it would be beneficial. I think there are clearly things, and I think that there is, you know, so, something coming. It's just a slow process, but some of us, we're, we're allowed to wrestle over in New Japan. You know, that's, that's basically trying to say there's not as much tension as you would think, Chris. Uh, what do you think about Cody's statements? The the interesting one is that the door has been open and already closed, and and maybe I'm drawing conclusions out of that, but I almost take that as something is, especially when he goes into talking like there already is a working relationship. It sounds like those pieces are already in place from his statement, but like you said, it was also very political, so it's hard to nail down. I think his statement came off very positive and, and doesn't make me think that it's completely impossible um, to see these companies work together. Uh, and maybe I looked at it a little differently. I don't know. How did you feel about that kind of that opening line, I guess, more than anything else, where he's talking about a door open and a door closed? Because you could look at that either way, right? Yeah, I was interpreting it myself that he's saying that it, it's been opening and closing. I don't think that it, it had an opening and now it's closed. I think he was just basically saying, well, I mean, you guys are seeing a crossover right now. The AEW champion was there. John Moxley was there. He won a belt from New Japan. He's obviously on AEW. I think that he was playing it safe, but he was also showing that obviously there is some growth between the companies. But I can see what what you what what you might think from that statement. I just don't think he meant like it was open. Now it's closed. I think that he's basically saying like we're we we kind of are doing this if you look at it, even if it's a meta way and it's not actually has any type of weight to it. You know. I yeah I took it more as like it's open and it's closed meaning that it might it may already be a done deal and just like patience yeah. more so than it's open and it's closed like we talked about it and we're not doing it but the way the rest of the statement summed it up it sounds like hey like we're open for this we'll see what happens um which is kind of what I took from it and then we get to like I guess what we're about to go into the young bucks and then that was like well now I have no fucking clue <laughs> I guess I'm getting yep. worked. <laughs> so the Young Bucks, um, God damn it. So his, his two of his partners within this company, obviously, like I said, Tony Khan is the head person, but right underneath him is the Bucks and Cody. And I, I, I don't even know if, if Kenny's below them or if he's on the same level as them. I always forget. Uh, but let's just say that Matt and Nick are the next people. Well, like you were alluding to, the Young Bucks were uh, interviewed, and I think that who who was specifically the person talked. Uh, man, are you really gonna? Oh, oh wait, no, I have some bad news. Blah 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 blah. blah. Sorry guys, I want to say it's Matt Jackson. It's not specifically saying. It's not like both of them fucking said this at the same time. But they were asked. Uh, ESPN West Palm uh, was asked. You know, what's the issue? Uh, is there going to be any type of Booking between them and uh, New Japan, is there going to be some type of relationship? Like, do you guys have any plans for that in the future? And asking them in reference to what Chris Jericho said and what Cody said. Uh, That was just a rumor. Nothing is happening. I think Chris did that to get the internet to talk a bit more about the situation. Door has not opened up at all. We wish them luck in what they're doing. A lot of our friends work in New Japan. And if something came along, we'd be open, but nothing is happening right now. 
And apparently, from what this article is saying uh, involving this, Kate Schneid's seats, they were just referencing that what they were saying about Chris Jericho is that Chris apparently talked to Tony Khan not only about the AEW belt, but they're, they're saying that he also made, like you were kind of alluding to, Chris, he got permission not only from New Japan, but from Tony to talk openly about this out there. So I don't know if the Bucks are out of the loop, but this kind of, I hate to say this, kind of pisses me off. I know that there is bruised egos. I know that there has been problems. You got to do the best for business. And for guys that honestly, I hate to say this, uh, can kind of get in their own way with Matt and Nick, whether it be getting called out for a certain thing uh, that happens on their program, and instead of either ignoring it, and you know it's hard, I don't understand it's the internet, instead of ignoring it, um, you you get all pissy, delete your Twitter, and then make a video uh, on you know one of your things for, for being the elite, where you're referencing the fact that people were getting on to you about that guy doing horrible punches, which had nothing to do with you, camera angle, shit happens, but then you decide to be passive-aggressive and make, a, I guess, a statement like you do constantly on your online videos, kind of making fun of the fact that people are critiquing that. And this one, Matt was on a beanbag pretending to punch Christopher Daniels in the face and just looking at the camera and not punching him, and uh, Christopher was reacting to it. And it's like, guys, I'm sorry. Some of that's just a little bit silly. I understand people are going to be up your ass about critiquing. It's got to be fucking annoying. This is a new level and a new job for you. But between that and also ending storylines on your, like the Joey Janela, I don't know if anyone knows this, but Joey Janela and Sean Spears, they had their blow-off match for their feud that even was on really weirdly on one of the pay-per-views, you know, that part where, where Tully was tied up and shit like that. They ended that feud on uh, on Dark, on AEW Dark. Uh, the only time that Kenny Omega has defended the World Heavyweight title, the Mega Championship in AAA, was on AEW Dark. Like some of these decision makings, trying to get storylines, more more interviews, more more videos on your online show that's not as big as a viewership. This is already an issue, and I, I just feel like Matt and Nick, to an extent, don't get it. And maybe that's not fair. But that's just my personal opinion. I just feel like, if anything, it, it sounds like they have the animosity, maybe also including Kenny, but they shouldn't prevent that from the potential of what they could do and really changing, you know, changing the world, changing the wrestling landscape. If you want to do that, instead of trying to have, like, fucking comedy acts and, and having angles that start off and don't start without actually, like, building them or explaining them to us and trying to do it on your other shows – on YouTube, like, I, 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 I just, part of me just gets a little bit rolls my eyes. I don't even want to go into women's division. We'll wait until fucking Saturday for that. But I just feel like Chris Jericho and Cody have a good head in this. And I think that Matt and Nick are being a little bit ridiculous. And Kenny, if he's included in it. Uh, am, I, am I being, like, too harsh with my criticism, Chris? What do you think? I think a bit of it may be a little harsh. Um, obviously, there's there's definitely a, a axe to grind there between the Bucks and, and New Japan, as we've talked about in the past. Uh, the statements didn't rub me like the wrong way that harshly. I mean, once again, they have kind of three different people looking at it from three different angles, and it could have all been talked about ahead of time, and that's kind of how I took it. But... Uh, coming out so positive with 
coming out so positive, like with, with with what Jericho was saying and kind of what Cody was saying, even to some extent, um, and then just immediately smashing it down, kind of like the Young Bucks did, did feel a little weird and out of place. Uh, as far as like some of the choices they've made with throwing things on BTE and not showing it on their main product and, and obviously some of the storyline builds they've done, I think those are kind of different. To me, they're different topics. Um, it is weird well, to build yourself off a social media platform and then at the first sign of people not liking something or, or and I, I mean, lots of, the blocks have been getting negative feedback and social media for forever. I mean, you, you look at Jim Cornette, for instance, but uh, kind of abandoning the ship and, and poking fun at the situation, which I don't think you should draw attention to bad punches on TV or even bring that in, even into your social media platform. Uh, in general, as a wrestling company, but yeah, it, it, the whole situation just was just really weird. Yeah, and I mean, we'll leave it at that, and we'll see where this goes. And I guess more or less, when I was referring to them and kind of putting all this together, it just seems like I said, when it comes to the bigger picture and understanding the industry, when it comes to like a big entertainment conglomerate, which is what they're trying to accomplish, I obviously feel like Chris Jericho. Cody, Moxley, and maybe even Tony Khan because he's been a business owner, a billion-dollar business owner. They get it at a different level, and I think the level that Matt and Nick bring are great because it's, it's, it's a counter-concept, and Cody's kind of in the middle a bit. But I don't think they understand, you know, when you make statements like this after Chris Jericho, your champion, after Cody, one of your main guys, talk highly about this, you have an issue, so you kind of like turn it down real quick. And at the same time, creatively, you're doing stuff that doesn't make a lot of sense for a mainstream audience for your product. So I guess that's yeah, kind I, of my criticism, them as I, overall when it comes to being business owners. Yeah, and I, I, I think the big thing here is at some point look around the world and tell me where you're going to find the type of talent that you would get from New Japan and how much that's going to increase your because like if you're like right now, two of the best wrestlers in the entire universe, three, three or four actually, <laughs> they're yep. like five out of my top ten uh, for this list that we pretty, have. Pretty much, pr- pretty much everyone that Jericho listed as potential opponents are some of the greatest wrestlers in the world right now. So if you're telling me that you don't think it's good for business to bring those guys in, um, it's similar to the way that you've done with these females from Japan. Uh, I think that's just a dumb way to do business. And uh, hell, I don't know. Maybe that pisses New Japan off and, and Triple H doesn't oh. get a deal done. Which is... God, don't. <laughs> I still, I, I still think there's a way that you do this with an XT and you undercut AEW and it's good for WWE business because at the end of the day it is a business and Vince McMahon gives zero fucks about feelings getting hurt (laughs) like that's not that's exactly true he's ruthless he doesn't (laughs) care who the hell's involved yeah and 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 I you know if, if it's NXT and New Japan I love that pairing obviously those are my two favorite forms of wrestling when it comes to actual in ring work uh, and pay-per-views too, for instance, takeovers in the New Japan paper pay-per-views. I love AEW, but I'm just saying, like personally to me, that's the best. Um, but yeah, it just uh, it's 
God, it's it's just a strange, strange concept of that were to happen because of bruised egos. Um, you know, it just seems like yeah. if, if you want to change the landscape, if you want to change wrestling, stuff that you were saying beforehand, why don't you fucking do it? And, you know, I thought about this kind of unrelated, though, Chris. Whatever happened to uh, – to, regardless of how you felt about his in-ring work, what the hell happened to the China connection with all these great wrestlers coming in with SEMA and all that? Do you notice that they just dissolved from, from AEW? Because all of a sudden, like, I thought about that, and I was like, holy shit. I thought they were going to have, like, this new, you know, luchador fucking uh, – what the hell is it called? Cirque du Soleil Chinese style coming in. That never really panned out. I have no idea unless – they just are making more money in China. I mean, the thing is, is AW does have a lot of shit that they have to get over every two, you know, on a two-hour show. And yeah. maybe SEMA didn't stick the way they thought he was going to, and they've dialed it back, and they're going to save it for something later down the road. But that is really odd because it was something specifically around the tag division they were talking about bringing guys in. And the only one that I remember really getting brought into the fold was SEMA. Um, outside of that yep. very first, you know, AEW show. So that is a good question. I wonder if anyone's like brought that up to Mr. Cody Rhodes or or Kenny Omega and been like, "Hey, what happened to like the Ultimo Dragon Kids?" What? <laughs> I mean, not, I just can't remember everyone's uh, name that they were talking about. I know that they were part. weren't they weren't they part of Ultimo Dragon's promotion? Yeah, they were. They were his. Well, through SEMA. Uh, I forgot what it was called. It was like OWE or something like that. I don't even remember what the acronym meant. I know they were called like the Strong Hearts, I believe. Um, but yeah, they just dissipated. And honestly, a big critique, this is more so obviously on Kenny and Brandy, is the women's division. And we can go more into that Saturday. It's not the fucking wrestlers. It's the development of them and what they're doing with it uh, that's just kind of mind-boggling sometimes because the talent is there. So, you know, I'm just saying press conference was over a year ago. There was a lot of stuff positioned in a certain way. I think they're doing great jobs in certain things and certain things they didn't really think all the way through, but that's business and that's just how it works out in general. Um, any closing statements? Yeah. No, I would be, I would actually be, I mean, that's something I haven't heard anyone ask them. So like if I had one question, that would be a good one just to, I mean, for all we know, it could just be a promotional thing where the promotions ended up not working well together. Or there it wasn't, it wasn't worth the, you know, the athlete's time to come over here and do, you know, one show every three weeks because not everyone gets on these damn shows uh, with the amount nope. of talent they have signed. And, that, and that's one of the reasons I've said, like, just because someone leaves WWE doesn't mean they immediately want to land in AEW because <laughs> there may not be dick all for them to do. I mean, we still haven't seen a, a, a hater match, right? Like – He's just been kind of yeah. a bodyguard for Jericho. Like, there's some names on there that you don't even see each week. Like, the Perfect Ten, you don't see him every week. Um, it's – they have a lot of talent with a two uh, – you know, honestly, if we're breaking it down, probably an hour and 30-minute TV show and a dark show on YouTube and a lot of shit they want to get over. So I'm assuming that's more of what happened. But, yeah, it is just weird that that was one huge focal point, something we haven't really talked about in a while. But, uh, yeah, I'd be fucking – Definitely curious to see what happened there. Yeah, just something that popped in my head. But either way, a lot of this stuff I'm sure will be arranged and worked out, and I and I really positively think that something will happen in the future, and that Wrestle Kingdom 
regardless of the outcomes, I think was a good example of mending, I guess, uh, you know, wounds, if you will. Uh, so let's get into this fucking pay-per-view because I can't wait to talk about it. Now, me and Chris already talk, talked beforehand. There are certain tag matches within every New Japan pay-per-view, especially when you have these ones that kind of lapse over. Like, this is a double-nighted one, so stuff that happens on the first one is going to happen on the second one. Um, this happens a lot in the G1 tournament where you'll have, like, the tag match at the beginning, rivalries within it are going to happen and pan out in the G1 tournament the next night. They're not being used that night up. That's a New Japan thing. So we're not going to go over certain one of those matches, maybe uh, a little bit of detail here and there, but other than the Jushin Thunder Liger stuff, we're going to stick to the main matches. So uh, let's start off. Um, past the pre-show, just mostly I was kind of, if anyone was wondering, the reason why the, is it is it Shimmer or Stardom, Chris, that I'm thinking of? Stardom would be the Japanese female promotion. Is that the I'm one that sure. uh, New Japan's owners uh, now own? Is that that one? Oh, God. Media company uh, that owns New Japan. That's a good question. Let me do some Googling while you continue on. Because Stardom well, did just recently get sold. I do know that. Their, their longtime owner did make a sale. But I don't remember if it was to the owner of New Japan. Uh, Fuka recently sold the company. He was the original founder. I know he's still uh, Bushi Road. Do they also own New Japan? Yes. So yes, uh, Bushi Road made that purchase. So technically they own both, but Bushi Road is also not just a wrestling company. It's they do video games, all sorts of media and entertainment, collectible cards, magazines, all sorts of all sorts of shit. Gotcha. Well, basically, a lot of people were, were kind of aggravated because uh, they had a match on the uh, pre-show with a lot of the women from Stardom. I don't know if it was a title match. It was like a six-person match, and it wasn't on the actual Wrestling Kingdom pay-per-view. The reason for that, it's not they're trying to ignore it per se. Obviously, being on the pre-show, that says something. But it's good that it was a part of the lineup. The reason why it wasn't televised is because Stardom is on, even though they're owned both by uh, Bushi Road. They're on two different channels, so the people that, you know, in Japan that show New Japan, they requested that they don't have their competition a part of the televised uh, thing. Even though I think it's a pay-per-view, it was some type of legality issue, and I, I, I forgot who it was. I don't know if it was Metzler or someone was trying to let everyone know, and it wasn't like New Japan just blowing it off or anything like that. So there you go. I, I, did you know that information at all, Chris? I had not heard anything about um, stardom being there. I just know that in you know New Japan as a company in general, over the past ten years has kind of steered clear from female wrestling because there's so many other great outlets for it in Japan, and they kind of attract different crowds in Japan. Now that may yep. differ if you're trying to break into the American market, but it's one of those things where you have to kind of look at it completely different between the two wrestling shows, like between Stardom and New Japan. While both have great wrestling, they're they're geared to different audiences in a lot of ways. Um, so that's that's just something also to keep in mind. I, I don't necessarily know that you. I mean, I'm not going to say it will never happen, but. I wouldn't just because Bushy Road purchased Stardom and they did like a prelim match or something. I don't necessarily know that you're going to see them start popping up on New Japan, uh, big New Japan shows. Yeah, I found the match on the Wikipedia thing. Um, 
I'm just I'm not going to try to pronounce it, but it was a tag team match uh, from Stardom, a special match that started off the whole entire event. Uh, but hey, regardless, like like Chris said, I understand that we are in our ways a bit in the U.S. and I I get that, but they are usually two different type of uh, viewing, you know, based on different crowds and different styles of entertainment. So it makes sense that they don't cross a lot. Um, but this is at least a start, you know, even if it's a first match, maybe that's potential to be more. It's still a part of Wrestle Kingdom, regardless if it didn't get televised. So uh, just worth mentioning. But let's get to this uh, first Jushin Thunder Liger retirement match. Night one, uh, we had no uh, – God. Nakai Sano, Shinjiro Otani, uh, Tashiro uh, Takiwa, uh, Ryusak, uh, Taguchi, uh, and then also uh, in their corner was uh, Konaki Kobashi, uh, going against Jushin Thunder Liger, the dragon himself, Tatsuji Fujinami, the great uh, Sasuke, and uh, the uh, fourth Tiger Mask, uh, with El Samurai in their corner. And, uh, oh, man. I mean, I love the match of seeing, okay, the the two spots to me were, and just because I'm more familiar with them, was seeing great Sasuke come in there, head full of steam, and then do the Sentai Bomb and completely eat shit. But the fact that he was willing to fucking do that was pretty awesome. And, Tatsuji Fujinami, man, he's 66, I believe, 67. He's like two years younger than Ric Flair, one of his old opponents. And he invented so many moves in modern wrestling, period, let alone Japan wrestling. The dragon leg screw, the dragon sleeper, um, uh, you know, just, just an array, dr- the dragon suplex, uh, you know, that snapdragon that, that Kenny create, or always does. He did that, the, the, dra- the leg screw. He did that before Tanahashi. So this is – it was great seeing him in the ring. He looked great for his age. All the guys look great for their age, man. For being older, this was a pretty decently fast-paced match, and I was impressed. Now, I don't know if Chris is going to care as much. My biggest problem is I'm not a Taguchi fan. I don't get his his obsession with his asshole uh, and, his, and his butt cheeks. Uh, the bomboye, which is Shinsuke's move just with his butt. Um, all that crap. I don't know why he needed to get the fucking pin, honestly. Um, I, I thought that Jushin Liger honestly should have won the first match going to the second one, but I get even in this scenario where everyone is a legend on this thing, he wants to put the other person over. It just it seems like since Sano and him were tagging together and they've had such a rivalry in the past, which I would definitely recommend going back and watching them. I know I did because of this. Um that maybe he would have gotten the pin over Liger uh, out of all the guys over there. But maybe I just have a thing against Taguchi. I, I just don't get his gimmick. I don't know what the fuck. He's a soccer hooligan. That's, that's, that's just, uh, uh, I don't, I don't know, man. He likes his butt. Anyways, uh, Chris, what'd you think about this match? I thought it was a really fun, enjoyable match. Uh, nothing too serious to write home about. It was great seeing all the legends in there together and working and seeing great Suzuki work is always a pleasure. Jushin um, looks great. I, I, I think, you know, him going out looking at the sky just makes sense with what they're going to do. Taguchi, I'm, I'm going to write that off to the fact they've had him and Liger work together so often in Japan. 
um, in some of these like comedy spot matches and different things uh, over the years that maybe that was a little fitting and maybe that's something that Liger wanted to do. I don't know if they're good friends or what, but that could have been the call there. Um, I'm pretty sure that Liger had a lot of influence on who was going to get the pin. Uh, so I, I didn't have a huge problem with the finish. Um, but yeah, it was a fun, it was a fun little match. It Once again, it's one of these massive tag team matches and I don't know that there's necessarily a better way they could have, used Liger kind of on his last way out and also protected these legends. But, you know, if you're a huge Japanese fan, um, this was just a sight to behold to see all these guys in the ring together. And they worked their asses off and had a, a great little match. Very well said. All right. So the other two tag matches that followed, I'm just going to go over what they were. But uh, Zack Sabre Jr., it was Suzuki Gun, Zack Sabre Jr., uh, Minoru Suzuki, Tai Chi, and El Desperado. Uh, who won against uh, Los Cinco Bernabes de Capon, Sonata Evil, Shingo Takage, and Bushi. This was basically just to get Sonata and Zack Sabre Jr. to kind of mix things up because they had a match the next night for the Rev Pro uh, uh, heavyweight title. Same thing with Chaos, uh, Hiroki Goto, uh, Tomohiro Ishii, uh, Toriyano, and Yoshihashi going against Bullet Club, Kenta, Bad Luck Fale, Chase Owens, and Yuhiro Takahashi with that beautiful, beautiful lady. Uh, I don't remember what her name is, but my Lord. Uh, if you understand what I'm saying, you understand what I'm saying. Anyways, um, but yeah, this was all, all for Goto and uh, Kenta to have some interactions before their match the next night uh, for the open weight title. So we'll just go past that. And we get to the IWGP heavyweight tag match. We have David Finley and Juice Robinson going against the champions, the Gorillas of Destiny, Tamatanga and Tongaloa. Uh, they have never won at the uh, at Wrestle Kingdom. <laughs> they have the reverse they streak. <laughs> they got the reverse streak. And they did not. Going. Oh God! <laughs> and they didn't win. Not only that was this match kind of flat, because I thought the other tag match, even though it wasn't the greatest, was better the next night for the uh, the junior heavyweights. I thought it was it was all right. It was kind of fast, and then it was over. And I was very surprised that David Finley and Juice Robinson won. They're kind of a makeshift tag team that's happened recently. And you have the Grills of Destiny, who are like the OOGs, along with Bad Luck Folly, of the Bullet Club. And Tamatanga, really, honestly, should be a solo fucking act going for the heavyweight. I, this, If they already were, especially Tamatanga, they already were kind of just uh dissociated if you will from new japan i think this did not help things at all um but that just might be me maybe they were okay with it but robinson um uh, got the left hand of god and after uh, finley hit the uh, acid drop on tonga and he got the win chris what do you think about this match i i know that after talking to you about it you were kind of heated <laughs> after watching I love, it. Um, dude, I'm, I'm, they're my fucking, they're honestly my top five favorite tag teams in the world out of anyone. They're probably four, I think. Just stupid. Yeah. I, I don't I, like Juice I, Robinson. Well, he looks like, he looks like Brutus and Barber Beefcake and fucking Road Dog had a baby. That's what I think about Juice Robinson. Uh, Juice Robinson's a great wrestler um i like the little tag team they put together obviously i think they're trying to mix up the tag division a little bit which after the bucks left there's kind of a gaping hole as far as the tag teams you're going to see in new japan i think i talked about that being one of their weak links is their tag division um specifically because we have such great tag wrestling in other places uh but 
I didn't have a huge problem with it. I do think it is weird that they they've never been able to get the job done at Wrestle Kingdom from that stat. I didn't realize that they hadn't uh, ever won the titles there or retained. Um, yeah, it's going to be one of two things. You're either going to push Tamatanga or they're leaving. I would assume, uh, be just being how long they've been there. I don't, that there's not really much left for them to prove. The real question is, where do they go? Are they going to go to AEW or are they going to pull the trigger and go have some uh, some matches in, in NXT and WWE? I mean, to me, they're like immediate stars wherever they go just because Tama is so good on the mic, even though they're going to have to uh, calm him down a little bit <laughs> with some of his profanity. Uh, he's great. And then also I wonder if any of this shit between him and uh, the real one, Enzo Amore, is kind of backsplashing on him uh, with these Twitter beats. That could be it. Uh, just because, I, to me, I don't think that that enhances them as a tag team at all. I mean, if the stock is like, hey, we're building towards a match with me and this guy somewhere else, then I get it. But, like... It's like I don't ever see New Japan signing Enzo Amore. You know what I mean? So it's really weird that you spend so much time talking about a guy that's relevant to New Japan. I don't see FMW no, fucking signing Enzo Amore, for Christ's <laughs> sakes. I don't know that he would want to go there. I feel like that's a good way to fuck around and accidentally get killed. Uh, I kind of want him to. <laughs> uh, yeah, and like, you know, How you doing? say what you will about in. Say what you will about Enzo, but he's done a good job of keeping his name out there and staying relevant regardless yeah. of not really having worked anywhere. And uh, I don't know, Tama seems to be like his main mark for this shit for whatever reason. They've been going back and forth. Um, so maybe, like I said, that could be a little backsplash on them as well. But I think this strengthens the tag division by having Finley and uh, Juice Robinson be a tag team. And they haven't really had anything for Juice to do since that Moxley feud kind of finished up. And Maybe he gets back in the G1 this year. I guess we'll see, barring if we, this we, tag we, team uh, stays together. We always you know, joke and, and talk about the fact that there's no reason for there to be – with the amount of tag teams that they have over on Raw and SmackDown, there shouldn't be two different fucking tag belts. It's not a big enough division. You kind of point this out. What if, I mean, I don't even know why there's a fucking junior and a heavyweight division. Uh, I don't know that many tag teams in New Japan. Like, I can't think of, like, fucking five now off the top of my head. That's the problem. Is not, I mean, they're, they're there, but they don't really stand out because they also work singles. Yeah. And they also do these, you know, four-man tag matches all the time. So it's hard to keep up with what's a faction and what's a tag team and who is a tag team within that faction because they're constantly rotating guys in and out, which I think is fun for the live audience. Um, but, like, as an American fan watching some of these prelim matches and stuff, it can be a little daunting. Uh, at times, and uh, yeah. that that was the one thing about the Bucks being there is they kind of had they were an anchor. I think even at one time they were carrying both titles, <laughs> so they were. Uh, you had you had kind of like an anchor of either division at one point in time, whereas like the Gorillas of Destiny, they're t- still trying to do the Bullet Club thing. They they try to do Tamatonga as the good guy, bad guy. Uh, leading up to G1 and I, I don't know it's they're in a weird spot and I'm if I'm not mistaken their contract is close to being up so this could just be the maybe the farewell tour of the gorillas of destiny uh so to speak but the icing on the shit I cake yeah I didn't I didn't hate this was the uh 
I didn't hate the match. I think it was different than some of the other Gorillas of Destiny matches they've had over the past six months or so. So at least it was different. Um, but yeah, there was nothing, nothing too great here uh, as far as a tag match goes. And and there was so much good shit on this show after this. So yeah, uh, and it did fall flat. It's a good point. It, uh, you know, it's just a weird spot in the card too. So yeah, weird all around. Well, before I move on, I'm just thinking I would rather, obviously, if they were to leave, I'd rather them stay in, in New Japan, honestly, because I think they're great over there. Just use them. Um, you know, we'll just use Try Tom on a fucking just a singles run. You can put his giant brother in a tag team still with Tonga Lo if you want to still do that. I mean, he kind of – I haven't seen him fucking forever either. Either way. Um if you are to bring them to Raw and SmackDown, which I wouldn't advise, I would prefer NXT, but the concept of building up the Usos with Roman Reigns for this long time and then being a unit and really starting to get stride and then come, like, I don't know, after fucking April, all of a sudden, like, lights go out. Well, maybe not lights go out because we'll think the Fiend's coming, but they just get manhandled by Tomatonga, Tongalo, <laughs> and fucking Bad Luck Fale. They just all destroy the shit out of them, and they start that type of feud. I would be completely down for that, or at least intrigued, but I doubt that's going to happen. I, I would be super down with them showing up in All Elite Wrestling and them bringing Ming back into the fold because him as their manager there oh, for a while yeah. was one of my was one of my favorite things in wrestling when they had that run. I guess it was about a year ago now, uh, where Ming just showed up and was just like being a complete asshole. Yeah. I would love to see him like that's another grab that's another scenario. Or... <laughs> <laughs> it's like arms arms with the uh with with uh, the, the Rhodes brothers and they go against Tamatanga Tonga Lo and Arn and Ming get in each other's face in the middle of the fucking ring. That'd be great. That'd be awesome. Yeah. I think there's a lot that you can do. I mean obviously Gorilla's a Destiny are a great tag team. That, yeah, the thing that's always Tomatonga is money, is, man. I don't think I've ever seen that much. I haven't seen that much frantic, humorous, but also just aggressive nature since like a Roddy Roddy Piper. Like he's got that type of, I don't know. Like he's he's spontaneous. You don't know what the fuck he's gonna do. He's crazy, and then he can come off cool and calm and collective if he wants to do. Yeah, and and I think that's the real thing is like, at some point, does Tomatonga just leave and do his own thing uh, you know that's that's yeah. the big question and i'm very surprised that after kenny left and some of the other people left and he start he started cutting these great promos at the pressers and he, then they just had him kind of like lose on purpose in the g1 do you remember this <laughs> like yeah some kind of weird some weird looking decisions uh, and like i said maybe that Maybe that's some personality stuff. I don't know. All that stuff will fall into place uh, once whatever happens, happens with them. But I think they are a great tag team. They're very fun to watch. And Tamatanga, I think, could be a superstar if used correctly at, in any company. He would just have to dial back, obviously, the way he cuts his promos. <laughs> God, him and Roman fucking just uh, – that would be a lot of fun. Anything like that. Anyways, let's get to the next match. Um, I think I've given enough love, love to Tomatonga. Uh, but Texas Death Match for the IWGP United States Champion. The champion, Lance Archer, went in to go against John Moxley. This match was fucking brutal. But here's the thing. Comparing this, and I hate to say this, but comparing this to the unsanctioned match with Kenny Omega, I thought that was completely unnecessary. This one told a story. There was brutality, but it was actually, like, 
worth it to me more so than that other one. Uh, but it really what it comes down to is Moxley came in, he got the shit kicked out of him from Lance Archer, who reminds me a lot of either uh, Brian Adams or Scott Norton, either one of those guys and how brutal they could be to like smaller dudes back, um, you know, back in the, back in the day, if you will, which was on a Wednesday. Um, but John Moxley got ragdolled. He got destroyed towards the end or towards the end. He, he finally flipped it and reversed what was supposed to be, I think, uh, Lance Archer's finisher onto two tables outside and did the fucking Death Rider DDT, the elevated version of the Dirty Deeds, through the damn table. So I guess that was his ultimate receipt because Lance Archer looked like, like – that looked fucking painful. Like, don't get me wrong. Moxley was smacked in the back with, with chairs and just annihilated for a while, but that ending looked like it sucked. And these guys beat the living shit out of each other. Didn't think it was the, the greatest match or anything, but I definitely enjoyed it. Um, and John, John Moxley was the IWGP United States champion the second time and called out Juice Robinson for their match uh, for night two of the of Wrestle Kingdom. What did you think about this match, Chris? I agree with you. I thought it was a lot better than the Kenny Omega match. I, they, the fact that they did the Texas death match stip correct, correctly, which is basically a last man standing match with weapons, Um I, I enjoyed that, and I like the fact that they didn't give them, like, 30 minutes. They were like, here's 14 minutes. Get all your shit in. We know this is going to be a brawl. And I think that went a long way as opposed to what we saw with that Omega-Moxley match where stuff just dragged. And they were constantly looking for these big setup prop weapons, which has never been my favorite thing in any kind of deathmatch wrestling where you have to set up something for hours it seems like i think it just drags the match to a halt whereas this one was very very fast um 14 minutes in and out and we got some great spots and uh what was like he tried to there was one spot where archer pulled out a plastic bag and put the call on moxley so he was basically taking the air out of him completely, which I thought was kind of cool, like basically suffocating the guy with a bag. I thought that was a cool spot I hadn't seen <laughs> in a while. I love how there was. Uh, I love how Kevin Kelly was like, "Oh my God, they're gonna murder him! They're gonna murder him!" And it's like, is no one gonna run in the ring? Because you could honestly murder him if we're doing kayfabe right now. <laughs> yeah, you really could murder him. Uh, and I think the Archer spot at the end was a blade job, uh, just to, as far as how he got busted open and stuff. But, like, overall, this was a fucking lot better match than the Omega, whatever. You send the hate mail at <laughs> Chris Harpatton on Twitter, but this was a much better match than that Omega-Moxley match. And uh hell of a lot of fun. And Lance Archer's grown on me. I think that he did a really good job kind of carrying Japan through America uh, during the G1 in Dallas with all the interviews he cut. He had some really good matches there um, and in the G1 itself. So it's good to see him growing uh, as a competitor. I can definitely see the Scott Norton comparisons a little bit there. So that was a good call out. Yeah, man. Scott was scary. Fucking Lance Archer's scary too, man. <laughs> they don't look like someone that you want to mess with. Uh, yeah, no shit. Mainly... He tried to kill a guy with a plastic bag he pulled out out of his junk. <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking scary. <laughs> do you think? Do you think? Like, do you think Moxley told him that it smelled like his mom's purse? I don't know, but probably. But you know, you know what's scarier than a gig like a gimmick barbed wire bed? Someone pulling a plastic sack out of their trunks and trying to kill you with it. <laughs> like, yeah, that's scarier no shit. to me. <laughs> that's what I mean, man. That the, the amount of punishment. Especially that Moxley 
uh, went through for both nights, and then what Jericho put his body through. I mean, there's so much potential for Eric, especially with Moxley in this match. It just shows you a lot that Tony Khan is willing to allow his two wrestlers that are now in a feud for the title, one being the champion, to go over there, put their bodies on the line for this. I, I That I definitely give uh, a lot of kudos to because – if you think about that, Chris, that's kind of a scary situation to get yourself into, you know? Yeah, 100%. But I, I think at some point you just have to trust in the fact that Moxley's done like a bazillion of these fucked up matches throughout his career. And the stuff he normally <laughs> gets injured with is like dumb shit that has nothing to do with these death matches, like a staph infection of the elbow. Or <laughs> like what he, he tore his pec off a suplex in WWE, like just weird shit. Like he's never actually, actually it may be safer that Moxley is being crazy. The crazier he is, maybe the safer he is. I don't, I don't know how that works, but that's what, when you look at like his career injuries, it kind of seems that way. It's not like he's getting injured off doing the death matches. It's like, it's, uh, it's more of the simple things. It seems like he, he's uh, been plagued with, unfortunately. Uh, well, he's a crazy man. That's all I got to say. Speaking about crazy men, holy shit. Uh, one of my favorite matches of the night, uh, the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship match that I was having a panic attack, I think, throughout the whole entire thing between champion Will Ospreay and the returning Hiromu Takahashi, the ticking time bomb. Uh, just had to say, man, for, you know, messing up his neck to the level that Takahashi did with that terrible accident with um, uh, Ryu Lee, uh, you know, Coming back, he looked great in the ring, basically. I'm glad that they didn't do anything crazy. I'm glad there wasn't any fucking, um, what the hell is it, sunset, sunset flip powerbomb to the fucking outside or anything like that. I thought these guys did a great job. I, I just, I understand New Japan's really into kayfabe, but it's always like, do you have to go after the area that everyone knows is really injured? Like, can't you just, like, not do that? But that's, like, the main concept. But I think these guys did it really safe, him and Will. Uh, the, the scariest thing is that fucking elbow that Will does to the back of someone's head. But, you know, there were two spots that were televised that people have talked about. One was on the apron where Will Ospreay looked like he did like a, um, a stomp to, to the uh, back of the head. He clearly missed, uh, you know, a majority of Takashi and then went inside and tr- pretty much directly after that and did a missile drop kick that – the camera angled, you know, he clearly missed him again, purposely, obviously, or, you know, at least attempting to try to get as far away as possible because Takahashi just came back from a career-ending fucking neck injury. But it was there. But either way, man, these guys kicked the shit out of each other. Takahashi looked great. He was fast. Will Ospreay is one of the greatest wrestlers. It's kind of weird after the year that he had for him to lose his title to Takahashi, you know, after he's been called one of the best wrestlers of the year and all the fucking amazing matches he put in. At the same time, great match, and now we can get Osprey in the heavyweight division, and Takahashi is back home at being, you know, and kind of what they're trying to, it seems like what they're passing the torch of, of the, the modern Liger, of the, of, of the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champions champion, if you will, the one that holds down that, um, you know, uh, weight division. So, I really like the match. Uh, I have seen better matches with the two of them in it, but for what was going on going into it, especially with Takahashi's inj- injury, all things said, I thought it was a pretty solid match. Chris, what do you think about this match? 
I like the match a lot, and and I know that the kayfabe bothers you a little bit just because it's kind of cringeworthy at some points, like when he's hitting neck breakers and kicking him in the back of the neck and and all that. I thought it was just really well done, and, and it becomes a believable part of the story, knowing what Hiromu has kind of went through. Um, he's a fucking superstar in Japan, man. I, I don't. He might be one of the most over people in the entire company, especially coming back from this injury. Uh, so it was great to see him get a big win. Uh, I will say my favorite thing of the match is probably something that, you know, wasn't the craziest, but you had that uh, shooting star press that Osprey hit. And I swear to God, it looked like he hung in the air. Like <laughs> he was in the air forever. Holy the, fuck, man. I thought the TV froze uh, for a second while I was watching this. And then right out of it, he hit the Oz cutter. Um, and Hiromu had that beautiful kick out, which kind of set up to the end of the match. Uh, but that was like one of my favorite spots of that match was just the shooting star press. And Will Ospreay had one hell of a year last year. Some great fucking phenomenal matches. And uh, to me, you could easily say he should be the guy who wins the G1 this year, especially after his showing last year in Super Juniors um, in, in the G1. I think there could be an argument made that it is time to push this guy. Him winning the G1 would obviously give him that push you're talking about to the heavyweight division. And he's been a guy that's been grinding there for a long time, so it'd be great great to see. But this was one hell of a fucking match and would have easily been best match of the night. Um, but that main event, though, which we'll get to in a bit. Jesus. Well, before we get to that, I thought it was a pretty goddamn solid match for the IWGP Intercontinental Championship between Tetsuya Naito going against champion Jay White. And... Uh, I mean, this is a normal Jay White match. I really do – I'm starting to really pick up, and I think that you might have mentioned this. It could have been someone else, Chris. But the comparisons with Jay White uh, to Triple H from the year 2000, from the beginning, how he was a nuisance and annoying, and by the end of it, everyone actually literally hated him and wanted people to beat him, and he became a great heel because of it. Um, I think Jay White's getting more and more sinister and to the point where – I, you know, I want someone to beat the shit out of him. It's not I want him to go away and get off television like I think a lot of people perceived him. But he's also an excellent wrestler. Great, A lot of great in-ring psychology. Uh, the, the, the pairing of him and Gato I think works out well. Uh, that chair shot I could have done without both of them actually from, uh, you know, just throwing the chair and nailing him in the face. Only because the chairs over in fucking Japan, just like their tables, man. Like they have to have like the most heavy fucking material or, or metal on the things. They look like they weigh a million pounds, but uh, yeah, that was just a awesome match. And uh, yeah, just to see you Naito, man. Fucking amazing. I think it took like a couple Destinos, but finally he got Jay White and uh, yeah, it was a pretty good match. Not as memorable, I think, as actually Jay White's other match and Naito's other match uh, the next night, but Pretty solid match, like I said. Chris, what did you think about the Intercontinental Championship match and Naito moving on for the big match the night after? So I liked the match a lot. Like I said, I think it was probably my third favorite match on the card. Um, I, it was – Jay White's like a very good version of Baron Corbin to me. <laughs> like he's a better wrestler, and he has gotten over as a, a heel. Um, and there's people that just hate him. I don't mind – uh, Jay White at all and I think they've used him very well uh, when they paired him with Gato and stuff uh, during that little short title run he had as kind of a transitional champion I think that went pretty well as far as establishing him as a top heel 
I don't know what they do with him from here. Seems like he's kind of fought all the top guys. So I don't know if maybe you move him to challenge someone like Moxley or that. I guess that's my biggest thing is I don't know where he goes from here. Um, but yeah, the biggest thing out of this is when, when Naito won, I was like, fuck, now I'm going to have a heart attack during this main event because if one of these men win, then the Naito and Bushi's going to kill each other. That was oh, <laughs> I thought towards the end of that match. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think about that, but that's a damn good point. Uh, Jesus. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of like what I was going to say. Something about Jay White that struck something in me. Um, oh, uh, just one the thing I, better one thing... version of Baron Corbin. Was that what struck? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, and I, I honestly think Baron's turning it a bit too. But yeah, I, I get that comparison. I, I definitely think that he's a much more enhanced version of. Um, no, uh, him and Kenta, they're obviously both hated immensely by Japan. We know, and I'm not going to say spoiler warning because we're fucking going over the damn pay-per-views. Kenta, where he's positioned. Since Jay White doesn't have a lot going, do you think that they might try to have a situation where Jay White tries to step out of boundaries of you of Kenta and then they make him a baby face from it? Like Gato fucks him over and they go with Kenta instead? Like, because I'm wondering, what, what do you do with Jay White after Wrestle Kingdom? I, I don't know. He's just so unlikable. But that's a good thing because he's supposed to be unlikable. Um, God, it would be really hard to turn him babyface. I could see them trying to do it, but man, that might be a that might be a tough ass sale sell to me, especially uh, the way he's attacked like Tanahashi and Okada in the past. And uh, I don't know, Kenta would have to do something very fucking dastardly <laughs> for for that to work for me. But I could see something like that. I could see maybe Kenta the one turning babyface. I think Kenta could probably be a good babyface. Um, I don't know that I think Jay White's just gonna be a full time heel forever. Well, maybe, you know, due to the comparisons I said, maybe if he tears something and he's out for a, a good long time period, everyone will like him when he comes back. He um, he comes back with a leather jacket with denim over top of it and motorhead plays. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, you know, hey, I'm starting to pick up on these references and I, I just wanna say I I don't really appreciate it. Uh I like Jay White though. He smells like like fire. Yeah. Anyways. Um yeah, let's talk about this fucking match, man. Holy shit. Like, I hate to say that, even though, and I watched both matches twice, even though I really like the Intercontinental Championship match, I can't think of a hell of a lot besides some hullabaloo with Gato getting interfering and trying to, like, screw shit over with the Intercontinental cha- Championship match. Now, the Heavyweight Championship match with Okada and Ibushi, this match was fucking awesome. This was a wrestling clinic. I love Kota Ibushi now taking this Terminator-type concept. You know, me and Chris, before we got on air, we were talking about, like, where exactly is he going to go with this. I don't want to see Kota Ibushi as a heel, but I like this dominance. And maybe if you wanted to, you can kind of, if he keeps on going on this losing streak, if you will, or, you know, has these issues, keep the dominance concept, keep the baby face, maybe make him uh, Tiger Mask W again. Oh, Shopper, if you guys didn't know, that was uh, Kota Ibushi. I apologize. But, um, and then you have that type of entity that he becomes to kind of really channel that and have him start dominating. Um, I don't know. I, I really like this match. So many fucking memorable things happened between it. 
I think one of the biggest parts is when Kodobushi, like I said, pulled the Terminator, and even Okada, who it's fucking Kazuchika Okada, the way that they build him, looks scared from Kodobushi's reaction. And then Kodobushi starts giving him loaded punches. I mean, these were potatoes. These were towards his... A lot of them, he was hitting him in the collar, you know, like they normally do, or in the side of the head, basically, like not near the temple, but like, you know, places where you can hit him. Also, you can hit him... Like Matt, Matt Morgan, <laughs> on one of the last episodes I listened to of... Um, of them uh, reviewing Raw was talking about the places that if you're going to actually hit them stiff where you would hit them. And he was saying the forehead, obviously uh, you can hit them on the side of the neck and just different places. It looked like Kota Bushi was hitting all those places. It looked like one of them, you hit him right in the fucking face. And these weren't full force punches, like as hard as he could, but these were definitely with some force. It was scary. You know, it was obviously that's illegal in new Japan. I don't know if WWE still does that or not, but you're supposed to not have, you know, close hand punches. And Red Shoes was getting on to him. Kodobushi wasn't having it. I mean, a lot of the spots that you normally see Okada doing his running uh, crossbody over the uh, barrier on the outside, Dakota. There's one part where Kodobushi, and I'm sure he beat himself up over it, but not as much as he did to himself when he did it. He went for a Pele kick, and Okada was supposed to catch him into a tombstone, and it looked like either he didn't come over enough, or maybe it was both of them, or Okada didn't catch him in time, but he just straight up fell right on his fucking head. Uh, and there was a lot of intentional versions of that with maybe even like a tombstone on the fucking apron or when uh, Kota Bushi did the, uh, the rising second rope um, belly-to-back suplex from the apron into the ring on Okada. Just, they annihilated each other. And as, as, as uh, aggressive as Kota Bushi was, after finally a couple Rainmakers, Bushi was done. And the one who really had been pushing that he was going to win both titles. So, you know, even though this is Naito's idea from a while ago, Bushi during the G1 tournament was proposing this if he won uh, the, the, the uh, you know, the, uh, the tournament itself, that he won both titles. And then we remember talking about him saying that he was going to win both titles. And the was like, hold on, motherfucker. You got to beat me the first night for the heavyweight championship. Why don't you worry about that? And it didn't happen. But Ibushi lost, and obviously I think that Ibushi's got so much more, uh, so many years to give for New Japan. I'm happy that he's like a full-time member over there, but God, dude, both these guys, fucking crazy. Some stuff that made me cringe, some stuff that made my eyes just pop out of my head, uh, but just a great match. Great storytelling. Really enjoyed it. Kota Ibushi's a monster. Okada's the best in the world. Chris, what do you think? Is Okada just Mr. Wrestle Kingdom now at this point? Is that fair to say? Yes. <laughs> because it was fucking incredible. Uh, one, first and foremost, Okada's entrance was fucking awesome. Like, right off the bat, I was like, oh, shit, here we go. Um, oh, yeah, huge that was back. amazing. <laughs> huge Okada mark, but... Uh, the his ability to tell such a story in the ring he starts it out he's very cautious he knows he can't get beat right off the bat he can't get caught by something stupid um and then he goes into full attack mode and then he goes into oh shit this isn't working frustration then he goes into desperation until the point where he just kind of loses his shit and then the rainmakers start pouring on and his ability to show that throughout the the match a, a human emotion of a fight like watching a, a 12 round boxer is what makes him such a great wrestler i mean granted 
everything he does in the ring is crisp and amazing, but his ability to tell a story with his face alone is something that I think a lot of people fucking miss out on uh, in modern wrestling, especially when you get into a lot of spot matches and stuff. But this was just spot on what I would expect out of him. One of my favorite matches I have seen ever in the history of all time in my top five if this would have happened before that decade list, it would have probably made that fucking list, which would have made Okada hit that list, I think, three times for me. Um, it was fucking incredible. Everything about this match was great. Uh, you know, when you were talking about the Abushi kind of turning the switch, and I think the announcers did a great job of talking about this darkness and talking about, you know, the death matches he did in DDT and how he can be this crazy fucker to where he just – you see Okada's like kind of out of breath and he's been giving this guy a beating and he's laying in work and, and Ibushi just yelled at him to hit him more. And then he gives him this, like what I can only compare if you're doing a death stare, I can only think of undertaker. He basically gives him this undertaker, eat shit, die terminator look and starts beating the absolute fuck out of him for a long period of time. Like you were saying in the corner and the fans turn against Ibushi, which just sounds insane to me. But the fans actually start booing. They're like, why are you punching? You can't illegally punch this guy in the corner like this. And then it leads up to Okada being like, fuck this, and just giving a tombstone on the apron. I was like, dude, this shit's awesome. <laughs> like, this is awesome. It was absolutely crazy. Yeah, that uh, Bumaye and Okada, of course, hit it with the perfect hand drop kick uh, to escape it, which kind of led into the tombstone and then those rainmakers uh, towards the end. Um and then that, the craziest spot is he didn't he didn't even win the match with a rainmaker right he won it with that crazy ass sit out tombstone which I hope I never see him do again because it like something so oh. easily could get fucked up in that someone would die <laughs> but it was absolutely insane Ibushi hit that V trigger and went for a finisher and I kind of blocked it and hit a sit out tombstone rainmaker game over kicks up the belt Naito comes to the ring and. And he asked Okada that whole story, like you were saying, Okada thanked the crowd, he thanked Ibushi for the fight of his life, and then it sets up the pay-per-view for the next night. And uh, he went on to say, this is the best wrestling in the world, and he hopes to see everyone again tomorrow when he will make it rain, because he is the man that makes it rain money. <laughs> and I'm like, bum, bum, bum. fucking Okada is the best. <laughs> He's the fucking best. <laughs> He's number one with a bullet, dude. He's so fucking good. And this match was amazing. And I know there's going to be a debate on this because I know some people were, are really going to love that Will Ospreay match. And some people are really going to love this match. And they're really, really going to love the main event for the second night, which we're going to get into. Um, but by far, this was my favorite match of the weekend and one of the best matches I've ever seen. Um, and then just once again, just Okada... He gets better with age. He's like a fine fucking line. <laughs> he just continues to have these incredible matches regardless of the opponent. Um, and then followed it up the second night too. So it's like, God damn, he's so good. And I, I want to see him in America so bad in some form or format like we were talking about. But I, uh, man, I can't gush over this match enough. If you don't watch anything else on this fucking card, go watch this match. It was absolutely incredible, and I love this dark kind of a bushy thing they're doing. And um, I think there's a lot of ways they could go with it, like you said. But just seeing him turn that on in the middle of the match and so zero remorse was was great. And seeing him do that in the G1 could be even cooler, depending on the opponent. So uh, this sets up the entire year for me for New Japan Wrestling. 
It really does. All right, well, let's go to night two of Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, we had the, on the pre-show, just to let you guys know, because it kind of has something to do with the storytelling. Um, kind of curious what direction they're going on with LIJ. But LIJ, Evil, uh, Shingo, Takaki, and Bushi won the Never Openweight Six-Man Tag Team Champions in the gauntlet against everyone else. Uh, but our first official match was the last match of Jushin Thunder Liger's career. He and his um, rival, uh, Sano, uh, like I was saying beforehand, who faced against him the, on the first night, uh, he tabbed with him to go against Hiromu Takahashi and his rival, coincidentally uh, the guy that put him out of action, uh, Dragon Lee, Ryu Lee, however you uh, you know call it. But um, great match, man. Liger, I love that he didn't fucking care. He was gonna he was gonna go at the level of performance that he wanted to go. Didn't really look like he held back. He looks like he could wrestle for another X amount of years if he wanted to. But it was awesome. I love the part, honestly. Where I know, like, uh, they started getting mad in the audience, but, like, Liger apparently, you know, wanted a fight, a real fight between them. And then at one point, they rushed him, Riley and Takahashi, and started just annihilating him, knocked Sano out, and were just trying to take him out. He, uh, you know, got out of that. Just having him and Takahashi just go at it with each other, you know, my God. I think he gave him his uh, patented brain buster, which is like, God, I don't really need to see Takahashi get that, but, you know, we got to, or at least I have to get over, just like Daniel Bryan, certain situations like that, because these guys are going to do what they want to do. But it was a beautiful ending where Takahashi pinned Liger with the time bomb, and, uh, or the time bomb too, I should say, I'm sorry, that new one that he does, which is fucking awesome. And, uh, yeah, just a lot of emotion. Takahashi thanked him. Um, you know, I, I don't remember exactly what he said, something about like how he was the best and I'll take care of this division and left the ring. And then Ryu uh, Lee, who I guess I'm assuming may, might have had some training from Liger. It seems like they're very close. He was one of the main guys on the uh, New Year's uh, Dash uh, show right in the ring. So he started crying and, and uh, you know, gave Liger a huge hug. And then Sano and him left the ring. And that was it, man. That's it for Jushin Thunder Liger. I did get a little bit choked up on this and also on the uh, memorial show at the New Year's Dash. Uh, how'd you like this last match, man? And Liger going out like Liger, man. Just giving all. Like he's not fucking his age, basically. I loved it. I love there's a towards the finish of the match, he gets German suplexed and he just no-sells it and then Takahashi wipes him out. Um. And then they kind of go from there towards the finish of the match. But it was just really great of like a little bit of almost like the Ric Flair of these guys killing Liger, even though they didn't want to. And the fact that Liger almost got the win, like he almost got the fall at the end. Just so there was that little bit of hope. It's like, wow, maybe this isn't Liger's last match when he, he cuts off that time bomb and kind of rolls him up for the near fall before it goes straight to the finish. Um, that was just like a great moment. And then it's over. It was over so quickly. It's like, that's shit. That's the end of Jushin Liger. <laughs> it was the way they did it. I loved, I loved every moment of this match. I thought it was really, really fun. I liked the fact that they kind of put the rivals together uh, to go against each other. Like you said, I thought that was also a unique thing. And like the crowd went absolutely silent, like a pin drop when he took that pin. Um, Takahashi, obviously, like you said, st- standing over him and told him he would, 
he he made the junior division and promised to carry on the legacy. And then Dragon Lee um, or Ryu Lee had that mask that he wore to the ring and uh, helped Liger up to his feet and gave him that mask and stuff. It was just a really, really good ending spot. And uh, the fans applauded him, obviously, and Liger got on the mic. Everything went nuts. And then you just see fans in the crowd, like, crying, like grown men, grown women crying for this man they've watched since 1989, the wonderful Jushin Thunder Liger, one of my all-time favorites of, uh, as a child. Um, great send-off. I don't necessarily know that this will be his last match ever just because it's wrestling, but this is one hell of a way to go out. And uh, very reminiscent of you know Taker for me as far as emotions go when Taker left his hat in the ring. Obviously, that wasn't the last Taker, but if it would have been, that's in, in my mind, that was the last Taker match. <laughs> where yeah. he left the hat in the center of the ring after it was over. I think this was a great way to go out. And, and uh, for like a 12-minute match, I had so many damn emotions. So <laughs> I'll give them that. And, uh, you know, going forward, it's going to be Takashi and Dragon Lee kind of carrying this division for a while, um, especially if Osprey's moving up to the heavyweight division. So I, th- I think they did a great job of, of telling that story. And I think the the fans were very pleased on, on the send-off. Man, Jushin Thunder Liger, honestly, is one of the most influential wrestlers to modern-day wrestling, and uh, just incredible all around. I mean, he really is to New Japan, I think, in a lot of ways, what Shawn Michaels is to WWE and uh, American wrestling, and just ridiculously influential, uh, just a master in-ring at all styles, as a matter of technical, high-flying, whatever, and just beloved by the crowd, and uh, it's, it's the end of an era. Definitely is. So thank you. Uh, thank you, Jushin Thunder Liger. We appreciate you over at Wrestling Geeks Alliance immensely. Anyways, let's get on before I get all emotional and shit and talk about this IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team match. We had the champions, El Fantasmo and uh, Taiji Ishimori going against Rapongi 3K, showing you. Uh, pretty damn good match. Very fast-paced. I like all the guys involved in this, especially uh, the guys from the Bullet Club with uh, Phantasmo and Ishimori. But uh, show pinned uh, uh, El Phantasmo after a combination shock arrow double stomp. Rapongi 3K revealed during and after the match that they were wearing cups to counter the Bullet Club's low blows. Which, God, could someone tell fucking AJ Styles about this method? Uh, before he had his thing with Shinsuke, you know, it would have helped him out a lot. I don't understand why all wrestlers, when they're going against someone that does that shit, I'm just going to wear a fucking cup. But uh, I thought that was actually pretty funny. But, um, yeah, so uh, Rapongi 3K is the uh, champs again. How would you like this match, Chris? I thought it was just like kind of a, you know, maybe I should rewatch it. I thought it was okay. I think that I the Jushin Thunder Liger and all the memories were flooded into my mind. Uh, I, to me, it just never hit the full speed that I expected it to. Does that make yep. sense? I, I don't know, but I, I thought it was I thought it was okay for what it was. Um, definitely not the worst match of both nights or anything like that. But it just what it, it wouldn't matter what went on after this. It was just in my mind, all I could think about was Jushin Thunder Liger and like early WCW <laughs> and 
New Japan and all of the memories of Liger, even his NXT appearance was just like there in the front of my mind. So I can't fairly judge this one. I don't think it was bad. I don't remember hating anything about it, but it was kind of just there for for me. I was just numb at this point at what, four in the morning or whatever the fuck I was watching this. So <laughs> You're crazy. Oh yeah, yeah. I feel you though. Uh uh, the next match I thought was – dude, it, this next match actually between – and I've seen these guys face off before, but uh, for the Rev Pro British Heavyweight Championship, you had Zack Sabre Jr., the champ, going against Sonata. I mean, this is like the the Cobra versus the Mongoose type concept. Both these guys are ridiculous when it comes to technical wrestling. Zack Sabre Jr. is just like a clothespin. Like, there's when he's on someone, like, it's hard to fucking remove him. Like, he just grasped on them and – I mean, it just causes some awesome stuff. Um, I really could do without the Paradise Lock or whatever the fuck it is that Sonata does, but I've said that a million times. But whatever, you know, shit happens. But uh, that that bridging pin that Zack Sabre Jr. got, he was like a spider over him, and nothing that Sonata could do, and he lost the match. And I think that's the biggest takeaway, is obviously we know what happens at the end of it with Naito. We know that the uh, the six man tag team, all the other guys have gold. Sonata's the only one who doesn't take any gold away from LIJ. I don't know if that's going to be in the story, but New Japan's smart about that, and they usually set up things um, for stuff to come. So very telling, uh, kind of, that Sonata ended up losing. Uh, I was expecting him to win. I thought it was going to be a sweep, honestly, with LIJ, and that didn't happen. So Zack Sabre is still a champ, and dude, one of the the, the, the modern-day Billy Robinson, man, fucking crazy technical wrestler, and I'm – Sonata obviously is the fucking protege of the great Muda because that's who trained him. I mean, you can just tell in his style. I just, very, I, I enjoyed this match quite a bit. How'd you like it, Chris? Yeah, I, I thought this was a really they, fun they match. Have, but... Although I will say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just wanted to finish. They have had better matches that I've seen them in. I'll, I will say that. That was what I was going to say. This one just went short for me. Like I think if this match had another ten minutes, it would have been could have been easily the best match of the uh, or could have easily been up there with match of the night. Obviously the uh, agreed that the main event was really fucking good. But I've seen these guys have incredible matches. But you know for what it was, I think it went twelve minutes. They had a bunch of uh, counters as you would expect out of these two. Um, it was it was fun. I just it's one of those where it's like I've seen them have better matches, at, at like you said. Um, but it, I think it did wake the crowd back up, for sure. So, uh, it you know, I I liked it. I just it's that's the only thing about seeing some of these guys go against each other so much in these different tournaments and in different um, these tag matches and stuff is you kind of know what the spots are going to be and what they're going to do. And there's very few people that are like an Okada or an Abushi or a Naito Knight, where they're going to give you a different match with the same opponent multiple times. Um, and to me, it just never got kicked into full gear just because they didn't have as much time as they normally do. But I liked it. I thought it was it was fun. If I had to give it like a star rating, maybe like three and a half or something, I guess, if we're doing out of five. But yeah, it was it was a good I would match. say, yeah. Uh, I, w- <laughs> I would say, I would, I would give that a probably about a 2.4 out of uh, out of 10. No, no, out of five. Anyways, um. Let's go to the IWGP United States Championship match. John Moxley, the champ, going against Juice Robinson. Uh, this was a pretty damn solid match. I liked Moxley's match uh, 
with Lance the night before a little bit more. Uh, but John Moxley defeated Juice Robinson with the Death Rider. I, that's that's the biggest takeaway because I did not see it coming. I was like, what? But then it made sense afterwards, and I think this is the bigger thing from this because uh, both guys had a good matches. Juice is actually, you know, still a tag champ, and John Moxley has a title, and you're like, what's going on? He's AEW. Why does he have the U.S. title? And something that I had said that I was hoped they were setting up when Moxley made his his uh, re-debut, if you will, and then took out Archer and also put his hands on the scariest man in the fucking universe, Minoru Suzuki, hopefully something was going to happen. And, uh, you know, Kazunin, uh, Kazunin, uh hit and Suzuki came out and he uh, stripped off his tracksuit in the ring and, uh, you know, got in Moxley's face and then ended up putting him in a rear-naked choke and hit him with the gotch-style piledriver. Suzuki got the mic, threatened Moxley, basically was like, who the hell do you think you are? You don't put your hands on me. I'm going to destroy you, and I'm going to take that U.S. championship match. And Moxley would counter that the next night at New Year's Dash after Suzuki's match by coming out and attacking him, giving him the Death Rider. And Minoru Suzuki's crazy ass is shown there with a huge smile on his fucking face as it ended. And I thought that was so awesome. I can't wait to see the two of these guys kick the living shit out of each other because you know they're going to do that. And uh, like I said, Moxley's pretty intimidating. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Lance Archer's pretty intimidating. Don't don't get me wrong. Kota Bushi as a Terminator is pretty intimidating. Don't get me wrong. But no one's got shit on fucking Suzuki. That's all I got to say. Scary dude. Have you, Serial killer. Did you – did you get a chance to see that Tom Waller Suzuki match that they had recently at like Bar? No, Fight? is it good? It's pretty fucking good. Um, <laughs> it's pretty good. Check that out. I know that's not what we're talking about, but definitely check it out for sure. It was I fucking have to pretty know. good. Um, yeah, this was a really fun match. Uh, Moxley, to me, has been great in New Japan. He's working a very specific style, but it it's so different than everything else you see on the card that has been working. And I like it a lot. And I think it's makes sense. that he gets the win here, retains the title. It finishes up things with juice um, and sets this food up, uh, feud up with Menora. Like you said, I think that's going to be fucking fun to watch. Uh, and that's scary. I also like when Moxley woke up after getting like choked out and gotch pile drove, he just started beating up some random young lion. Cause he thought it was Menora Suzuki. <laughs> oh Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which I hope they play that in the storyline like they did with uh, Red Shoe's son or whatever. He's doing the pressers <laughs> with some poor guy beat up because that was, like, great. I We haven't talked about that in a while, but they need to bring that back. Moxley just beating up young lions and then making him, like, his his prison bitch, for lack of a better term. <laughs> I don't know what else to call it. <laughs> but that was a fun a fun Moxley-esque thing that he brought to Japan. I hope they bring that back. But yeah, I'm looking forward to Moxley versus Suzuki. And if you guys haven't seen it yet, Filthy Tom Lawler versus Minoru Suzuki, also pretty great. Oh, that has to be but awesome. Yeah. Both both of them pass MMA badasses. Whew. Yeah. And from what I heard from so, like Tom Lawler on some podcasts that, yeah, they kick the shit out of each other as expected. So, uh, yeah, good shit. I wonder in that situation if you just spar basically and just like kind of loosen up a bit. Those guys are nuts. All right, so we have the never open weight championship match with Hiroki Goto and Kenta. I gotta say, man, this is a hard hitting fucking match. It 
there was one spot that they actually got me that I thought Kenta got knocked out uh, in the corner. Kenta just raises back and nails Goto, and Goto responds with his own elbow, and Kenta drops like a sack of fucking potatoes to the ground. And it looked like he was knocked unconscious, but, you know, these guys are uh, they're both extremely stiff fighters. It was very back and forth, and now Goto can assure himself that he is the fucking millionth time uh, open weight champion. Um, I guess that's his title. You know, that's it's like it, that is like our truth with the twenty four seven title. God, that's a terrible comparison. Uh, I love your truth. Um, but yeah, I thought, like I said, hard hitting match, fun match, uh, very strange where things would go with Kenta after he loses the open weight belt to fucking Goto, but hey, whatever. I'm sure they'll get us there. It is New Japan after all in Gato's uh, booking. What'd you think about this match, Chris? Weird to see Kenta lose, but I guess they need to get the title off of him to do whatever they're doing with him going forward. The end of that match... Goto and uh, Kenta kicked the absolute shit out of each other. I think they hit each other harder than anyone on the card. I'll go as far as to say that. I don't know what the hell is going on, but they were unloading on each other for sure. A uh, little known fact, Goto is 6-0 in the Tokyo Dome in title matches. So he's basically, I don't know if they're doing a streak thing with him or what it is, but he's 6-0. So that's a that's a fun anti-Gorillas of Destiny stat, I guess. <laughs> Tomatonga, how do you feel about that? Man, fuck Goto. Bitch. All right, uh, let's go to the loser Leaves Town match. Actually, it wasn't a Leaves Town match, but the two guys that lost the night previous, the uh, past uh, IC champion, Jay White, went against Kota Ibushi. This was a combination of the two matches, basically, because it was Jay White, you know, doing some shenanigans, rolling out to the ring, pulling the powder, Gato causing his distractions. At one point, uh, Kota Ibushi really threatened Gato. Um, but other than that, it was it was that type of situation. But, yeah, the, the whole Kota Ibushi changing Terminator style, just going full style. Here's the thing. Gato's pretty goddamn smart. He used to back up Okada. He saw Okada do all this shit to fucking beat him. And he's like, man, fuck that. So what does he do? He gets the ref to be... Uh, either distracted or bumped, I can't remember exactly. Jay White does the same chair shot, nails fucking Kodabushi in the head, and then walks right into Gato, who had brass knuckles, and after that, White hit Abushi with the Blade Runner for the win, and uh, yeah, it was um, pretty crazy. Even more so than Sonata and Will Ospreay, the Golden Star himself, Kodabushi, fallen twice in something he claimed like he was easily going to win. He lost to Okada, and even though he got screwed over, he lost to Jay White. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was a pretty interesting match. Hell of a way to go down, you know. (laughs) Chris getting smacked in the face by a fucking steel chair that weighs a million pounds, hit by brass knuckles, and then you get a Blade Runner for your troubles. Poor Kota Bushi. How would you feel about this match? So I, I like the match itself a lot. I, there was a lot of interference in it, which I guess builds to what I think this is going to be probably a feud for a while. Um, I I don't I don't know what to really say about this match. There's just 
the I, I like the uh, brass knuck spot. I, I love the old school brass knuck spot in general in all of wrestling. I think that's great. Um, the Blade Runner spot was really cool, like you stated. There was a lot of really good stuff in this match. Um, it's just overshadowed by these next two. It's kind of sucks. I need to go back and watch this one again, I think. Um, because I remember liking it a lot at the time and then just immediately being shocked uh, into the next two matches and how, how great they actually were. But this was, by all means, a match to watch. And, uh, man, I think, didn't you want Abushi just to kill Gato, though, by the end of this match? Absolutely. Like, like so that's hey, what man. they were going for. They they nailed it. <laughs> I will say Gato Gato in the scheme of things, there's not a lot of managers nowadays, but it's it's like in no order. The two Selenas, Selena Vega and Selena Delarenta, Conan, Gato, and Paul Heyman are probably the best fucking managers uh right now. Probably forgetting someone, but Gato's up there, man. He's a good heel manager. He sucks. He makes you want to hate him and he does some shitty stuff. I mean, he started it right and off I'll, the bat with distracting him. Like, also <laughs> annoying as hell with the entire match. Jay, 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 constantly throughout the whole fucking thing. Come on! Uh, Pretty great. All right. Uh, but yeah, right, I enjoyed next... the match. I, Sorry. No, I was just gonna say I, I did enjoy the match. I need to rewatch this one for sure. Here's the one I want to rewatch because I only saw it once, and I just realized that is because the first time I saw it, I really liked it, man. It was Chris Jericho going against Hiroshi Tanahashi. Stipulation: If Chris Jericho, the AEW champion, loses, Tanahashi gets a championship uh, match with Chris. And like I said, I think it's it's really impressive. You could tell that he was out of breath by the end of it. It was a pretty a decently length match. Chris Jericho, instead of going for so much. And he did. Don't get me wrong. He took Tanashi out there and uh, fucking gave him a, a DDT on a table on the edge, basically, and made, made them both fall on top of each other. That was fucking brutal. But a lot of the stuff in the ring, Chris Jericho was kind of going back to his old style, you know, trying to keep up with Tanahashi, who is older, but obviously younger than Chris. And Chris used to be considered a high flyer, so... He got a lot of those things right off the bat. He did the uh, drop kick when uh, Tanashi was on the apron, you know, jumping off the side, and then also, um, you know, doing the lion salt very soon in the match, nailing both of them. I thought these guys did really well together. They're both legends. They're both older. You know, Chris Jericho's towards the end. I thought that he gave a great performance, and uh, I love that. The one thing, the one critique I will say that I wish was there in the match uh, because I love how he had Tanahashi in the line tamer forever. And he didn't really, well, it was actually more the walls of Jericho's line tamers when he really like sets down his ass and fucking, you know, pulls up um, during it. Um, but either way, he, Tanahashi, he was in there for a long time. I just wish it did. It didn't necessarily have to be a reversal from the walls of Jericho, but to me, Chris Jericho, one of his best opponents was the Malenko. What does Dean Malenko and Tanahashi have in common? Both of their finishers were the fucking uh, cloverleaf. So it would have been cool to have a throwback where Jericho gets in the cloverleaf and then kind of reverses it maybe into the walls of Jericho. But that's semantics. I'm just saying I like the match a lot. That's something that I think I would have added in there, peppered in there. Maybe I missed it. I, I don't think they ever attempted it. I could be wrong. Chris might be like, no, they definitely did that. Maybe they need to stop smoking so much. I don't know. 
Either way, like the match. Jericho won. Tanashi lost. No AEW title match, but still a damn good match nonetheless. Chris, what'd you think? Yeah, I mean they played to me they played off all of their big moves, right? So the whole match was just those two staying ahead of each other as far as like signature moves go and kind of reversing those things and, and they played that really, really well. Um I like that Jericho won with the Lion Tamer. And I like that he used the high angle version where he's like actually standing. I think that's what you're kind of talking about. Because, like, sometimes he just sits full into a Boston Crab, and then sometimes he, like, cranks the thumb bitch over and stands up while he's doing it. It's been a while since I saw him do that version of it, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, this was just a good match. It's just more Jericho brawling, brawling. But I think the fact that these are just such legends at this point in time and the fact that they use those signature moves to kind of carry the match made it one of my favorite matches probably my second favorite match of the night i really really enjoyed it um and i honestly thought tanahashi was going to win going into this especially because jericho has been on a little bit of a losing streak in new japan so that that in itself was uh was a little bit surprising especially because he won uh like i said he, he made tanahashi tap out so that was uh it was really good and, and you know 22 minute match good all around i, I enjoyed the, the shit out of that yeah i'm just I think Jericho really wanted to bring it to Tanahashi, you know, and give him a good match. And I think the guys did a, a damn good job. Um, all right, let's go to the last match, the IWGP heavyweight and the IWGP Intercontinental double t- championship match. We had Tetsuya Naito going against Tsuchi Okada. This was a fantastic match. Um, it's kind of hard. Man, Okada and Ibushi was brutal, but this was very well paced. These guys have that type of relationship. They have that uh, type of chemistry that, you know, Okada has that with Kenny, I would say, too. But, like, him and Ito, it, it, it's very similar to, like, an Austin and Rock or, like, a Brett and Sean, like, that type of chemistry in the ring, and they always bring it. Um, but I think the biggest thing to take away from this within a bunch of great spots is that Naito won, you know, a couple years ago, even though we love Okada, we wanted Naito to win. Didn't happen. And now he's not only the IC champion, which that's the belt that he tried to get rid of for the longest time, but he's also the heavyweight champion. And uh, it was pretty awesome. And afterwards he praised Okada, uh, raised his fist and, you know, was just talking and, and so happy you know, just, just going into, like, what LIJ is going to do the next year and how he's going to be, you know, a great champ. And then that little son of a bitch, Kenta, hit, hit uh, whatchamacallit, Gato, attacked him, gave him to go to sleep, and sat on his chest and fucking had the two belts staring at the crowd while they're just booing the shit out of him until Bushi ran out to help Naito. But, uh, yeah, you know, Kenta is a big star in Japan. And I think that when he was positioned as a baby face, it wasn't working. The heel turn, which I think they already determined they were going to do that to start really worked well for him. He's one of the only things I think that, you know, along with Jay, like I said, in Tomatonga, one of the only things I really care about when it comes to the now quote unquote bullet club, but he's hated man. And this helped probably even more give him some heat and I think him and uh, I think him and Naito will have a really good rivalry from this. 
very curious where Kazushiko Okada goes from here because he's a torchbearer. And actually, he's going to be a torchbearer in the Olympics. That's pretty awesome to find out. But, um, I, you know, where who does he feud with? It, sound, it feels weird, Chris, for Okada not to have the title. But I'm so happy at the same time that Naito has both titles. It's a very conflicting concept. I'm sure you feel the same way. How did you like this match? I loved the match. I thought it was definitely my second favorite match of the entire weekend. Um, I think the crowd made this match more than the athleticism. I think I've, I'm pretty sure I've seen a better Naito Okada match. I, I need to go back and watch him to be honest, because I thought this match was really, really damn good. They did a lot of great storytelling where Okada's neck was hurt from the previous night, and Nato's leg was hurt, and they did a good job of working both of those parts. Um, I will say this. Kevin Kelly on commentary talking about how Okada has consistently held off Naito at every turn and kind of held this title for so long and, and been the constant thorn, the, the thing that can't be overcome. At the beginning of this match and the way he told that underdog story, really, really sold the match for me as far as in, uh, fan interest is. Uh, if you had never seen this match before, I think that would do a good job of telling you who these two, two men are. Um, and so props to him. I thought that was some really, really damn good commentary work. Not that it's a, it's a surprise because I think Kevin Kelly is probably one of the best announcer, if not the best announcer in the business right now. Um, but he did I would a say the best. great job this match. And uh, the match itself was just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and and just so great and uh what he, he okada hit the rainmaker and nato kicks out and then and then okada goes for another tombstone nato just collapses pulls the kitty omega the move where he's like i can't even be picked up to get hit with this move <laughs> just dead dead weighted uh leading up to that finisher with the the wrist lock so they kind of played on your emotions a bit if you're a fan of the uh the omega match because he held onto the wrist after the failed um rainmaker but you know when he ducks it hits the destino and that's when he hits that it was the stardust press and then right back into another destino and the valentina and another destino because they have to hit a bazillion finishers because it's an okada match it's like it's like john cena match uh, <laughs> at Wrestle Kingdom, at least. These guys beat the absolute shit out of each other. I think at this time period, the right person won, as weird as it is to see the belt go off Okada again. Naito's been kind of in the wing for a while. Um, and it's a good time to give him a run, and I think that you could build... There's multiple people that you can build out of the G1. Okada's going to be a presence. He's going to be great in the G1. He's still going to have good matches. I don't think it's a bad thing to cool him off a little bit. And, um, yeah, I, I think the best part of this was the way that they kind of told that underdog story. And they give you the great, this is the end. We're going to give you this promo that you've been waiting for, for him to win at Wrestle Kingdom for the title, like they always do to close out the show. And then Kenta comes out and attacks him. Um, the only thing I'll say about this is they also did this with Jericho recently, if you recall. I don't think they should they should separate these really far where people attack the uh attack whoever wins the the end the main event match at the very end of the show because that is kind of a tradition thing where they close the show out very positively and I think the reason it works so well is because so many other times they haven't done that 
and it seems like that's only like six or seven months apart since they did that spot with Jericho. So I would dial that back and definitely not do it at G1 uh, to set up an angle if they don't have to. But outside of that, I liked everything about that. And Kenta, uh, man, the fans were pissed. We'll just say that. <laughs> and the fans were hot for this entire match. Like before they ever threw a blow, the fans were chanting both of these guys' names back and forth in a way that you would like uh, like think Rocky and like Rock and Hogan, right? Maybe not to the same extent, but where they were just the, the chants were back and forth before the match even starts. Yep. Um, so it had that feel to it. From a crowd standpoint, I think this was the match of the weekend, probably like overall, but as far as in-ring quality and like one of the best damn wrestling matches I've seen with psychology and stuff, uh, I would say, you know, Okada's main event match against Ibushi was the best match. The main difference I think here was Kevin Kelly's commentary, which I also thought was fucking great. So if you liked one over the other one, I would totally understand it either way. Um, but yeah, that, that's my thought of the weekend. Those are my two favorite matches. They both involved Okada. Surprise, surprise. Uh, but this was an awesome Wrestle Kingdom. I think it was better than last year's, in all honesty. Three questions closing out. Um, even though I loved it, do you think the two nights might be too much and might be too long of wrestling, if you will, in general? Where do you think Okada's going to go? And since Sonata is the only guy in LIJ without gold, is that telling for stuff in the future with him maybe splitting off? So I'll answer the Sonata question first. Um, he had a really – he was very – didn't he do very well in Super Juniors last year? I don't remember. I'm trying to remember. I think that he was in the finals. I'm trying to look it up. Um, I, I could see him getting a run at like the junior title. I think they're going to kind of keep him around there right now. Um, Okada, he'll be there at the G1. I think it's really going to depend on what they want to do with Ibushi. Um, it could be something where you see Okada take some meaningful losses against people like Osprey or Zack Sabre during that tournament. And as maybe long they as even turn into a loop. balloon Okada. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. Uh he could he could end up being like he, he could end up going into the losing streak again, uh, to build him back up uh against Naito down the road or something. I could see them doing that. I think they're gonna keep the title off of him for a while, because I honestly I don't think he needs it at this point, right? So uh in the third what was the the the, the you had one other question. I think I've too long? It. Do you want it to be two nights again, or do you think that's a little bit too much? So two nights are hard for me here, uh, especially if I'm trying to watch it live to avoid spoilers, because uh, I woke up at 3 a.m. both nights to watch this thing, and that was a little much for me. Um, but I do like that it's broken out, and maybe if I wasn't like an insane man trying to watch this back-to-back at 3 a.m., um, each night, it wouldn't be that bad. I kind of wish they would do a back-to-back with WrestleMania, and I've said that in the past. So uh, I don't know. But the the thing with me is, like, outside of the fact they wanted to do this dual championship thing, and obviously the money they can make at the live door, I didn't see a reason for this to have to be two separate shows. I think you could have cut out the prelim matches and probably just had a six-hour show. Um, but... I don't necessarily have a problem with it. 
it's just it, because of the time mm-hmm. zones. If you're trying to watch this live, that's where it becomes more of a problem. Yeah, I think I think to me, still a lot of wrestling, uh, both nights um, included. I wouldn't mind going back to just one, uh, but the two nights format. I mean, at least it's really great wrestling uh, for the for the most part. You know, some filler, but that's that's to be there. For me, Okada. I mean, in a perfect world, all this whole entire AEW mumbo jumbo bullshit. It's just you know, crap, and they're actually been working on things, and Okada's going to come over here, and if I were it, I'd trade him for Kenny. I'd have Kenny come over to be able to get another gratifying, you know, storyline over New Japan for, like, a little while and trade it with Okada and see what happens in realism. Um, it's too early to, for him and Tanahashi to have a feud again, even though they put on great fucking matches, and they're both two of the legends. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. The G1's now not until, what, December? Uh, because of the Olympics uh, they announced. So it's going to be further out. So in the meantime, it's going to be very interesting to see what they do with Okada. With, oh, I forgot uh, about that. That means something will probably happen at Dantaku instead of building the G1. So, yeah, I forgot that they were doing that this year. Good call. Yeah, so it's it's interesting see who will end up feuding. Like, Kent is taken up. I don't want to see him in Jay White. It's, it's just, it's, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be strange. And Sonata, you know, I wouldn't mind Sonata. I'm not saying do the great Sonata, but I, and I don't know if there's animosity, but it would be nice for Muda to come home and maybe, you know, take in his protege and kind of, you know, mentor him, if you will, as like a manager style role, if they wanted to do that. Uh, with Sonata, maybe make him a little more darker than he already was. Uh, but interesting nonetheless. Love New Japan. Any closing statements before we go home? No, uh, just the end of the decade Skates Threads podcast is out on Spotify and all of the other listening places you get podcasts from. So if you guys like hockey, check that out. And uh, as always, you can hit me at, at Chris R. Patton on Twitter. What a hell of a year for wrestling. And uh, what Absolutely. a hell of a way to kind of start the new year with Wrestle Kingdom. I think we have a lot of good shit coming our way uh, with both AEW, NXT, and New Japan carrying the load. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. It was an amazing pay-per-view. If you didn't check it out, I don't know how the hell you've gotten this far into it and <laughs> this show. But uh, thank you. Go fucking watch Wrestle Kingdom. If not, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, that is another show from us, guys. The first show, I believe, of the new year. Uh, Happy New Year to everyone. And, uh, yeah, you want to go to Wrestling Geeks Alliance on any type of platform that is downloadable between SoundCloud, uh, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, you know, iTunes. Look us up. And, uh, like I said, if we do this live on Blog Talk, Wednesdays, 7 p.m., Saturday, noon, Eastern Standard Time. Saturday, we'll, we'll be going over the Wednesday Night Wars highlights from Raw and SmackDown, and we'll give our top tens for male and female wrestlers of the year. Maybe do one more top ten if we can actually get through it. I'm not going to promise that, but I'm just saying we'll definitely get the women's and men's. Check out, if you guys didn't get a chance to our past episode, we went over the whole entire decade and broke it up in a bunch of different ways. So uh, if you guys didn't listen to that, Definitely listen to that. Thank you so much for listening. Go to geekvisenation.com. 
Uh, you'll find news for a lot of different things in fandom and geekdom, and also links to our Instagram, our Twitter, and our Facebook. Come, join those pages. Be a part of Geek Vibes Nation. Enjoy the conversation. Thank you guys so much. Have a wonderful evening. And, of course, as always, let the Geek Vibes be with you. Peace out. <laughs>